Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. It's great to see everybody today. It's a very special day because uh, many of you know that my wife and I met at Georgia Southern University. And last night, the Mighty Eagles from Statesboro defeated the Nebraska Cornhuskers. So hail Southern to all my Georgia Southern family and friends. Uh, man, I just love the fact that it is, uh, you know, I know fall technically doesn't start for a few weeks, but college football's back, NFL's back, it's an exciting season, um, and almost in all of the excitement, um, it kind of snuck up on me, and, and I realized that today is September 11th, and um, it's one of those things, my younger kids, one of them asked me earlier this week, they're like, what do you do to celebrate 9-11? And, and I know what he means, but it's one of those things, it's a holiday, but it's not a, a celebration, it's definitely a remembrance of a very pivotal time in our nation's history. But I know all of us, it sounds so cliche to say, but we all know where we were on September 11th. And I know for me, um, I was in between uh, classes in high school, and I remember heading into my biology class, and they turned on the TV just when the second plane um, hit the second tower. And, and man, you just try as a high schooler, I don't even, you can't even wrap your mind around what's going on and what does this mean. And a few years ago, my wife and I actually went to New York City, and we had the opportunity to go through the 9-11 memorial. And even then, when you just see the museum and everything else, the enormity of it all is overwhelming to think about the lives that were lost. And um, man, I, the other thing I remember is um, being at churches and, the, you know, they're packed out in the following weeks. And I think the reason is because a lot of people who follow Jesus were really wrestling with the question, where is God in the midst of all of this? Right? Like, where is God? And, and I never understood. There, there's always that small group of people who want to say, well, this is God's judgment. And I never understand the impulse to take what is evil and attribute that to God in some way. Um, but, but I know that people are just wrestling with where is God in the midst of all this hurt and all this pain and all this evil? Uh, where is God in all this? And that's a question that I think people have wrestled with throughout the ages. I mean, even when we think about the, the thousands of people who will die just because they don't have access to food this year, you know, and I'm throwing food off my plate after a lot of meals, or the people who will die because they don't have access to clean water. It's like, where is God in all of that? And I think sometimes, like, at least for me, I can become so insulated because I'm not worried about where my next meal is coming from. And, and for me, it can be easy sometimes, I guess, to believe in God because all my needs are met. When we think about, like, all the evil that we see in the world, like, where is God in the midst of all that? Now, we don't have time to unpack all the nuance and, and have a great conversation diving into that here on a Sunday morning. Um, but I find it interesting. We're in the middle of this series right now called Around the Table. We're just looking at meals in the ministry of Jesus. And, and the reason we're doing this is because especially in the book of Luke, there's like double digits number of meals, which you're like, that doesn't seem like very many. Well, when you consider, you know, that most of the chapters in the book of Luke then are going to have a meal with Jesus, I think it speaks a lot to, to what the author wants us to understand about Jesus' ministry. And we kind of kick things off by saying that in the book of Luke, um, some scholars have said Jesus is either headed to a meal, he's eating a 
a meal or he's leaving a meal. And I love his style of ministry. It's just from one meal to the next. That's kind of my motto for ministry. I'm just going to do it from one meal to the next. But meals in Jesus' day, um, they're not like, like our meals were very casual. They can be networking. But in Jesus' day, a meal was something you only shared with like the people who are closest to you. So actually, meals reinforce social hierarchy. So you would not want to have a meal with someone who had less social status than you. You wanted a meal with someone who is higher on the chain. So you, their, their influence and their prestige and fame would rub off onto you. Meals were used to reinforce who's in and who's out. And not just socially speaking, but like from a religious perspective, who does God love and who does God not love? Uh, there, there were a lot of ritual hand washings and foot washings. So it's weren't about hygiene, but again, reinforcing who the good people are and who the bad people are. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene and he's having meals with all the wrong kinds of people, he's having meals with the unclean people, the people who are out, the people who are of lower social status than him, it causes quite a bit of an uproar. I mean, this is part of the reason why the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day criticize him. They call Jesus a glutton and a drunk because he's hanging out with the wrong kinds of people, which makes me wonder, like, I know sometimes we look and we're like, we wouldn't be like that. But I wonder if Jesus were here today, if, if he would make a lot of us uncomfortable with the kinds of people that he would hang out with. Because for Jesus, people were more important than any categories that other people would try to put them in. And so we've just been looking at these different meals through Jesus' ministry. And, and there is one meal that I think does speak to where is God in the midst of all the hurt and the pain and, and all the lack in this world. And we're actually going to look at this meal really for, for two more reasons that make it stand out to me. The first one is this is a meal that Jesus himself provided. Like most of the time in these meals, Jesus is being invited over to people's houses. And by the way, Jesus, he, he doesn't show any bias. He'll go to a Pharisee's house and he'll go to a sinner's house. Like he'll go to anybody who invites him over for food. And so he's hanging out with them. But this meal he provides. The other thing that makes this one stand out is this is one of the only accounts in Jesus' ministry that's not just recorded in one gospel or two gospels or three Gospels, but it shows up in all four Gospel accounts. Now, up until this point in the series, we've kind of stuck to the book of Luke, but this morning I want to veer off into the book of Mark because he provides some context to this meal of Jesus that I think is going to help us understand what Jesus is trying to do. Because, again, a lot of times when we look at the life of Jesus, some of these stories can be so familiar with us that we lose the punch of what's actually going on. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, open up to Mark chapter 6. We're going to jump in there in just a minute, but I, I want to kind of set the scene for where we're at in Jesus' ministry. Um, if you guys remember, a year ago, we did an entire series where we just walked through the book of Mark. Some of you thought that series was never going to end. I mean, we just went through, took our time, and man, really in preparing for that series a year before that, um, God had challenged me so much, really specifically with a passage from Mark chapter 3, um, that actually change the way we do things here at Bridgepoint. In fact, we have changed them so much over the last two years um, that we complete, we've completely redone our growth track. So if you're not sure what growth track is, it's a, a four-part um, kind of group, I guess you could say, um, where we walk you through four different parts. The first one is, is all about connecting with Bridgepoint, learning who we are as a church, so you can decide if you want this to be your church family. The second part is about discovering your design and, and how God created you. The new third part is all about developing how Habits that are going to help you grow closer to Jesus. And then the fourth part of that, you have an opportunity to join our dream team. Now, 
I'm not going to require anybody. We never require anybody to go through growth track. But even if you've been at Bridgepoint for 10 years, even if you've gone through growth track before, we have radically redone this thing. And so I would encourage you at some point, go back through, especially um, the, the connect with Bridgepoint and the developing those essential habits. That's completely new stuff that has come out of wrestling through Mark chapter 3, which starts off with Jesus saying he had a lot of followers it says that out of those, he called those whom he wanted. I always found that fascinating. Jesus has all these followers. We think if he has 12 disciples, he has lots of disciples. But he called 12 of them, and it said that he wanted them. Now, Jesus has come to radically change the world, right? He is bringing God's kingdom to earth. He's bringing heaven to earth. So who is it that he wants? Now, I think if we were to talk about, okay, if we're going to change the world, who do we want? Who are we going to want on our team? You would think, well, we've got to have somebody with some political power, right? Because we're going to have to transform governments. We've got to have somebody with maybe some, some kind of social influence, right? Like maybe we can get the Kardashians on board. Like one Instagram, the fame, the word's going to get spread. You know, maybe we need someone with a lot of tech expertise or we've got to have money to fund this thing. Like we'd be looking at this. And by the way, um, there is like a line of thinking. And I can't remember if we've talked about this on Sunday and, or if I, this is just in conversation. So if we have, you know, somebody just shout out. You already said this a few weeks ago go. Uh, there's something that some Christians have called the seven mountain mandate, where there's seven fears, spheres of influence that, that are like education and government and family. And the idea is, hey, if we can just influence those things that influence the world, then we'll see God's kingdom come. Very, very popular idea in the Christian world, especially among a lot of pastors and theologians. And it sounds great, but that's not how Jesus chose to influence the world. Like they, the ones that he wanted like ordinary people, like they were just fishermen. Like they didn't have a great education. They didn't have a lot of power or influence or social standing. Like not only that, he like went out of his way to call people, like the ones he wanted were like tax collectors, like the, the sinners that people didn't even want to hang around. He looked like this, uh, these political revolutionaries, like basically terrorists, like, hey, come follow me. Like these are the ones that he wanted because the way Jesus is bringing his kingdom is not a top-down approach. He's not trying to influence the top to influence everybody else. He says, hey, we've got to serve people. This movement is a bottom-up kind of movement. And when he calls those he wanted, he says he called them to be with him and to be sent by him. So they want to be with him, yes, in proximity, but the more that they're with him, the more they're like with him. They're aligned with him. I don't know how it is for you. Like there have been times in our marriage where sometimes we just feel off. Like we'll just say things feel off. Like we're just not in sync. We're not like with each other. What we found is the more time we are with each other, the more we are with each other. And so Jesus wants the disciples close to him, but he wants them to be with him so that he can then send them out. And so in Matthew chapter 3, 4, and 5, there's a lot of time the disciples are spending with Jesus. We get to Mark chapter 6, and now he's ready to send them out. That's where we're going to pick up Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 7. It says, He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money, in their belts, and it continues on from there. So Jesus has had his disciples with him, and now he's ready to send them out. And he's sending them out, and he is giving them the authority to, to do what? To cast out unclean spirits. They're, they're supposed to continue Jesus' work. 
Right? They're going to go out and actually in later verses it says that they healed people and they cast out demons. They did all this under whose authority? Jesus, right? right listen, I'm give, I give you the easy questions here, right? So, so they're going out. And what are, they, what are they allowed to take with them? Nothing, right? Again, easy, easy questions here. They go out. Why would Jesus send them out with nothing? Because whose ministry are they expanding? Jesus. Whose kingdom are they expanding? Jesus. Who should get all the fame and the credit for the work they are doing? Jesus. Man, you guys are on it today. Gold star. So they go out and they have nothing. So they're actually supposed to depend on the hospitality of strangers. And they go out and, and man, they see some amazing things happen through this ministry. I mean, just a time where they depended on Jesus and they, they saw him show up in miraculous ways. Now, after this, we get this brief interlude in the story. It's kind of strange because all of a sudden the story jumps to talking about King Herod. So remember, this happens in the Roman Empire, and the empire was so big, the emperor set up these regional kings. And, and Herod was king over the region where all the Jewish people lived, and, and so he actually gave himself the moniker King of the Jews, by the way, which the Jewish people did not appreciate that at all, because Herod was not a nice guy. In fact, he had people killed. He had all these great building projects, so much so that when Jesus was born, in order to pay all of the, the uh, projects that Herod was doing, the effective tax rate was somewhere between 80 and 90%. So you have a lot of poverty in the area, a lot of political oppression. And the story that Mark tells is one where Herod is throwing all these parties and everybody's laughing and having a good time. And then the subject comes up of John the Baptist because Herod and his wife don't like John the Baptist. Because he was a prophet who kind of called them out because their marriage shouldn't have happened. Again, I don't have time to go into that whole section. But the, the story ends with John the Baptist deciding to grant his stepdaughter a wish. And she said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so he has John killed. And in the middle of one of these parties, they bring his head out on a platter. Random story, but we're going to circle back to it in just a moment. Now, at the end of that story, remember the disciples have been sent out to do all this work. They had nothing. They're depending on the hospitality of others. They're depending on Jesus. They've seen these great things happen. And then I want you to jump down to verse 30. <clears throat> it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, that seems like a fairly innocuous verse. But does anything stand out in that verse to you? See, to me, there's something very striking. Because remember, they went out on whose authority? For whose fame? To teach whose teachings? But they came back and they told Jesus all that they had done, all the things that they had taught. And see, I think this happens to all of us sometimes. We depend on Jesus and we start to see things move and maybe even what the world would call success. And all of a sudden, our focus shifts from Jesus to ourselves. Right? Like there's times when, man, we, we wanted Jesus to show up and he did. But then guess what? We talk about, man, I built this business. Man, I landed those accounts. Look at the family that I have raised. And I actually think that success is one of the biggest things that takes our focus off of Jesus and puts it on ourselves. Because in a weird way, when we have to depend on Jesus, it's easier because we have no other options. But when we look at how comfortable our lives are, it's easy to depend on ourselves. And by the way, I am just as guilty of this as anybody else. 
I've shared before, there was a time early on in our marriage where we had 11 cents in our bank account, and there were several days till payday. So I'm like, look, and what do we have to make? I got like chicken breast in the fridge and like Fruit Loops in a pantry. So it's like Fruit Loop crusted chicken breast for dinner, you know, like, like just whatever we can make to make it through. Listen, I will tell you, in those seasons, lots of prayer, lots of depending on God. Like we, ha- we saw God show up in some pretty incredible ways to get us from paycheck to paycheck. Now, over the years, God has blessed us. And now we don't have to go to the grocery store worried that our card's going to get declined when we buy our groceries. We're not worried about where our next meal is coming from. I'm not going to say it, but you know where my next meal is coming from this afternoon. <clears throat> We're not worried We're not worried about if we're going to be able to afford our mortgage or what's going to happen with the car. And it's really easy to look and say, man, look at the life we have built for ourselves. Like what a lot of hard work we have put in. Like we have just like really put our heads down. And by the way, we have put in a lot of hard work. But man, when we were depending on Jesus, that was great. But now it feels a lot of times like, look at what I've done and all I have accomplished. It's easy to get complacent. And listen, I believe in hard work. But listen, I also believe that nothing that we have that is good has come from, to us from anywhere except Jesus. And see here, I think the disciples shifted their focus from Jesus onto themselves. And notice that Jesus doesn't rebuke them. I actually love this story because the disciples are going to mess up time and time again, spoiler alert. But Jesus never rebukes them. What is Jesus' response to this? Verse 31, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran out on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. So Jesus says, guys, you know what we need to do? Let's get away to a remote place and rest. By the way, the Greek word here for remote place is aramos. It's used all throughout scripture, and it always means a wilderness where God meets you. So when Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, it was to meet with God. When the the, uh, Jewish people wandered in the desert, in the wilderness, that's where God met them. Like What Jesus is saying is, we don't just need a time of physical rest. We need to refocus on God and reconnect with him because I think our focus has shifted here. Let's get away. Let's rest. Because by the way, there's so many people coming for ministry now that they don't even have time to eat. And so the disciples get in a boat, and I imagine they're thinking, man, this is going to be great. We're finally going to kick back and relax like we've done so much work. We are exhausted. And notice that when they get in the boat, it says that the people saw them and recognized them. Now, a long time I read this as, oh, they saw Jesus and recognized him. But the way this is written is, no, they saw the disciples. They'd heard all the stories about the disciples who had been sent out, and they recognized them. They're coming after the disciples. They want more healing. They want more freedom. They they want to see more miracles. And so the people run to the other side, and they greet the disciples as the boat pulls up. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm trying to get some rest and relaxation, and the boat pulls up on the shore, and I see the same people I just left, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You ever have toddlers, right? And you try to go to the bathroom. I don't know if moms do it. Dads do this. Like, you want to know why we're in the bathroom forever? We're just trying to get a moment of peace and quiet. But you're sitting there, and, and all of a sudden, you see little hands coming under the door. Like, Dad, Mom, are you in there? It's like, please, I just need a moment of rest. And I wonder if as Jesus and the disciples are pulling up, what's going through their mind? Now, I want you to notice in the next verses, there's a contrast between Jesus 
and his disciples. So let's see if we notice it. Next verse, verse 34. When he went ashore, he, meaning Jesus, saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted. It is already late. Send them away so they can go into the villages surrounding the countryside and the villages to buy themselves something to eat. So Jesus has one reaction. The disciples have another. It says Jesus gets ashore. He sees the large crowd. It says he was moved with compassion. The literal translation would be he was moved in his gut. All right, because they thought that if we, we talk about gut movement, that means something different in our culture. But they thought the gut was the seat of all the emotion. We might say like his heart was moved. Like there was something that stirred within Jesus. He saw them, and it said that he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is actually a reference to a very famous Jewish prayer found in Numbers chapter 27. This is at the end of Moses' life. Moses has been leading God's people. And they're about to enter the promised land. But Moses is going to die before he has a chance to lead them. So for the first time in many years, the mantle of leadership is being passed from Moses to somebody else. And in, in his last final moments, he begins to pray. And he prays that God would send somebody who would provide for the people, that he would protect them, so that they would not be sheep without a shepherd. And I think this is so interesting. Because what that reveals to us is I think that, that what the Bible means when we talk about leadership is very different than what many of us think about leadership. Because we think about leadership and we think, man, it's about position. Like leadership is, man, I get promoted. Maybe I'm going to have more responsibility. Maybe I'm going to make more money. But people will respect me. Like your word, your influence comes with leadership. But when Moses was praying for a leader, he actually, what did he pray for? He prayed for a shepherd. Now, I know you guys are experts in farming. I mean, we look like an agricultural crowd here this morning. But being a shepherd, especially in, in the biblical times, this was not like, this is not a sexy job. This is like saying, like, God, send them a trash man. Because shepherds, they get dirty. Right? Shepherds are dealing with animals who really don't have much of a way to defend themselves. So shepherd's going to have to protect the shepherd's going to have to provide. Shepherd's going to have to chase them when they run off. Or like a lot of us have animals. I always think it's so funny. I can't remember which comedian said it, but like if an alien came to this planet and they saw us walking our dogs, who do you think they would think is in charge? The one, us, or, or like the one picking up the poop of the, of the animal, or was the animal in charge? Like, like when you care for an animal, when you are a shepherd for sheep, there's not a lot of reward, and they don't ever turn to you and say, thank you for being such a good shepherd. Right? There's, not like, there's not like a great satisfactory moment. It's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of service. It's not sexy. But that is exactly what the Bible talks about. Leadership is service. Like that's what it looks like to influence the kingdom. Not from the top down, but from the bottom up. We serve people. We care for them. We do the dirty work. And Jesus looks at these Jewish people and says they're sheep without a shepherd. Why? Because the supposed king of the Jews, is he shepherding them? Is he caring for them? Is he providing for them? No, he's not providing for them. He's stealing from them so he can have big old parties and reap all the wealth for himself. He's not caring for them spiritually. He's murdering prophets. 
There, there is no shepherd leading these sheep. And it's also an indictment on the disciples because they are also not acting as shepherds leading sheep. And so he has compassion and he begins to teach them. He begins to minister to them. Now that's Jesus' response. What is the disciples' response? Well, the sun starts to set and, well, Jesus, it's getting kind of late. And I don't know if you know this, but there's McDonald's ain't around here. So you got to send these people away. They got to go provide for themselves, which is fascinating because they just got back from a mission trip where they were told not to take anything that they weren't going to be providing for them because Jesus and other people would provide for them. But now they say, we need to send them away. And they got to believe there's probably a couple different reasons. I always say there's not like one reason people do what they do. But part of it's got to be, Jesus, you promised us rest. Like we're here because we couldn't eat before. And now we're not going to be able to eat again. Can you send them away? But also, how are we supposed to feed this many people? How are we supposed to say, you send them away so they can care for themselves? By the way, we live in a culture where I think this is a very common sentiment. Right? Because we live in a very individualistic society. And by the way, like there are good aspects of that and there are bad aspects of that. We try to put instill in our kids the good aspect, like personal responsibility, hard work, like take ownership. We don't BCD, blame, complain, defend. We don't blame other people. We don't complain about our situation. We don't defend ourselves because uh, if you're BCDing, you're, you're never getting better, right? You can, uh, Carrie Newhoff, leadership expert, said you can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both. Okay, there's a good aspect to that. But the bad aspect is when we say, you know what, not only am I responsible for me, but I'm not going to be responsible for anybody else. You know what, your situation is your fault. You got yourself in this mess, you get yourself out of this mess. You need food, go find it. Go provide for yourself. And I think that, that we can always find excuses to justify us not taking on the role of a shepherd. We can always find, well, I'm not going to care for them. They, they know better. Had this conversation 20 times with them. Keep making the same mistake. Sheep's run off over and over and over again. You know, the wolf can have them. And we can come up with any kind of excuse to justify inaction. But what is Jesus' response? I love this. Look at the next verse, verse 37. You give them something to eat, he responded. Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not their responsibility. Whose responsibility is it? Your responsibility. And they said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Uh, 200 denarii, that's 200 days worth of income. I mean, that's roughly an entire year. You know, if you're taking the weekends, that's an entire year. What, Jesus, we're going to get sixty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 to feed all these people? Like, there's a sarcasm here. Like, don't miss that. Jesus, you really expect us to feed all these people. And again, Jesus is saying, you have the responsibility. And instead of trusting the one who can provide, they look at their lack. Like, what, what is the lens we look at the world through? Is it that we lack resources or that Jesus has abundant resources? Oh, well, I can't do that because I don't have enough money. Oh, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough of those things. You know who has enough of everything? Is Jesus. See, Jesus calls us into his kingdom where there's always enough resources. There's always enough to go around. By the way, not because we're providing it, but remember, they just came back from a trip where Jesus was providing everything. He's not asking them to muster them, but don't make the mistake of thinking. Jesus is saying, just white knuckle it and do this on your own. And Jesus is reminding them, listen, I've raised people from the dead. 
I think if you step forward, I can use you to feed a few people. Like, just trust me in this. And at this point, disciples still giving excuses. I love it because Jesus doesn't say, all right, everybody, stand back. He doesn't crack his knuckles and say, all right, I'm going to do this. What does he do? He goes back to the disciples. Verse 38, he asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. He didn't say, watch what I'm going to do. He says, what do you have? Don't tell me what you don't have. Don't tell me you don't have the money. Don't tell me you don't have the resources. What do you have? <clears throat> when they found out, they said five loaves and two fish. I also think it's interesting. He says, how much bread do you have? And they actually come back with more than what they thought. They don't just have bread. They have some fish too. And then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Remember that green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven. He blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to the disciples. Didn't do it once. Kept giving to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And everyone ate and was satisfied. You know what that means? It means they were full. They'd had enough to eat. And they picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. So much to unpack here, but just a few quick thoughts. Jesus doesn't bypass the disciples. He continues to use them. Are you like, how are we going to feed these hungry people? Jesus' answer is, you. Like, what are we going to do about people who go hungry in our world today? You. What do we do about people who don't have access to clean water? You. What do we do in the face of evil and death? The answer is you. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. Like when we think about 9-11 and we see like there's rubble and there's dust and there's disaster and there are people, first responders, running into that. That's a picture of who we are called to be, the hands and the feet of Jesus. We are the ones who are supposed to be the answer to other people's prayers. And Jesus says, what do you have? And maybe for some of us today, the message of Jesus is, stop telling me what you can't do. What do you have? Because a little bit in Jesus' hands becomes a lot. By the way, this is not a message about give Jesus a little bit of your money and he's going to bless you with a lot. No, no. Whatever you have, the impact will be much greater when you put it in the hands of Jesus first. And by the way, he will break it. He broke the bread. He will take what you have. He will break it. And then he will give it back to you so that it can be handed out. And he kept giving over and over. I picture the disciples having to come back to Jesus. Jesus, we need more. All right, all right. Table number 13, we need more, Jesus. They just keep coming back. And Jesus kept giving over and over and over again. And it's this beautiful picture because he sat down, had him sit down on green grass. You're like, what the heck does that have to do with anything? One of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 23, begins with the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. And he makes me lie down on green grass. Jesus is the good shepherd. And when we follow him, if we're going to be like him, we have to be shepherds too. Listen, Jesus gives you everything you need. And by the way, he's going to give you everything you need so you can be a blessing to somebody else. See, if he's given it to you, it wasn't just for your benefit. It was for other people. That's how heaven comes to earth. That's how the kingdom grows. 
That's the kind of people we're called to be. But let's be honest. I think if, if we're trying to place ourselves in the story, at least for me, I feel like I'm right where the disciples are. Because ministry is hard. And when I say ministry, I don't mean being a pastor. I mean serving Jesus. Like you are a minister. Serving Jesus is hard. It's like having the same conversation a million times with different people. It's just the same thing over and over and over again. Being a shepherd is thankless. Being a shepherd is exhausting. I think we can place ourselves in this story in a number of different places. Maybe today, it's a call to wake up and realize that where you are today is not because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, but because Jesus has blessed you abundantly. And maybe you can think back to a time in your life where you depended on Jesus because he was all you had. And maybe today it's just a call to return to that. You know, maybe for you, it's Jesus saying, you know what, we need to, we need to get some time away to rest, to refocus on God. And you know, we talk about these spiritual practices here, but that's why Sabbath is so important. That's why daily times of silence and solitude are so important because when we can just pull away and cut out all the noise, refocus on Jesus, what you find is you'll start to see him working and moving all over the place. You know, like sometimes when, you know, we, we pray at church, like, Holy Spirit, would you meet us here? Jesus, or we'll, we'll leave, we'll say, Jesus really showed up today. Can I just tell you something? Jesus was here long before you and I showed up. Jesus is moving in relationships in your life before you even meet those people. Jesus is doing a work around you. He's already shown up. He's waiting for you to show up and for our eyes to be open to the ways that he is working and to humble ourselves and say, no, no, I, not to say I don't have enough, but say, Jesus, here's what I do have. And maybe today is just a call to surrender. Maybe you already know there's some things you've needed to surrender. Maybe, maybe, there's a conf- maybe you've been holding on to some kind of secret sin. Maybe it's a, a, an addiction. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe today, just let it go. Maybe you're so afraid that if you actually trusted Jesus financially, with your calendar, with your life, that that you're losing something. But maybe today you need to know that when we actually let go to Jesus, we gain more than we ever lose. He'll use you to bring heaven to earth in ways you never thought possible. Does it mean that life is going to be easy? No. The disciples, eventually they grow and they become the shepherds that God wanted them to be. It wasn't an easy path. And for many of them, it ended in persecution. But my guess is if we were to talk to them right now, they would say it was worth it because they got to be a part of Jesus bringing heaven to earth. Their lives counted, their lives mattered. And we get to join in that same mission today. So in just a moment, we're gonna continue with a time of communion. And as we do so, maybe just sit for a moment. And maybe for you, this is the only time of rest you have all week. Just sit with Jesus in silence. Or maybe you just need to say this simple prayer, God, open my eyes to how you want to use me. Open my hands so I could serve the people around me and give me the strength to serve even when I'm tired, even when I don't feel like it, even when I want to be selfish. Jesus, help me to be selfless and let's just hand everything over to him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we're so thankful. We're thankful that even though you invite us to be a part of your mission, it doesn't depend on us.
And so today I just pray freedom over each person here, freedom to let go, freedom to trust you. Got to pray for everybody who needs rest, that in this moment your spirit would meet them here. I pray for all of us who've turned our focus inward, that you would convict us today and turn our focus outward. Open our eyes to see the ways we can serve those around us. And Jesus, as we draw near to you, would you meet us here? Everything we have is yours. It's in your name I pray. Amen. You can have communion as you feel led. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock, but we also meet during the week in what we call life groups, and that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, we'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening.